Miamians and listeners from around the world, welcome to another episode of Miami Global Net. This week, we have our first deep dive where we will take a closer look at specific topics to increase our knowledge on global issues. I am very excited to say that Miami Global Net is partnering with the EACC Florida, the European American Chamber of Commerce Florida, located here in Miami. We will be tackling a series of episodes on various deep dive topics. For example, today's topic is Brexit 101. What is it? A look at UK and EU relations. And what does it mean for us here in the US and Latin America? The European American Chamber of Commerce brings us two experts on Brexit. The EACC Executive Director Kristina Slesinska will be joining us today to tell us more about our guests and to set the tone for our conversation. Let's jump right in. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and sign up to our newsletter information in the show notes. Welcome to Miami Global Net Podcast, where we showcase the people and organizations that support Miami's international landscape. Learn from local business owners, startups, diplomats, and community leaders. Get to know the tools and services that are out there that help you invest and grow in South Florida. Miami is a true global city where one can live and do business with a global reach. All right, guys, I'm very excited. This is our first deep dive. We are partnering with the EACC, the European American Chamber of Commerce. I'm going to hand it over to Christina. She's going to introduce our guests and the topic of the day. Thank you. Thank you, Alejandro. Welcome to everyone. My name is Christina Slezinska, and I'm the executive director of the EACC Florida. We're the Florida chapter of the European American Chamber of Commerce, a platform where Americans and Europeans connect to do business. EACC offers resources, education, and updates on regulatory and legal developments of relevance to the transatlantic business community, regular events focused on issues of interest to our constituency, and unique connections and networking opportunities. We're delighted to partner with Miami Global Net and EACC Florida member companies from both sides of the Atlantic on a podcast series of deep dives focusing on big picture issues and how they can affect transatlantic business activities. This deep dive will be on Brexit, Brexit 101. What is it? What's going to happen? What will be the impact? What is, why is it important to the United States? Will there be an impact in Florida, in Latin America? We'll find out. For this deep dive on Brexit, we're very pleased to have two experts from one of our member companies, RSM, a global network of independent audit, tax, and consulting firms active in more than 120 countries. We have Brad Ashton, who is an indirect tax par partner at RSM UK, specializing in custom duty and international trade. He's currently assisting clients navigate the practical impact of Brexit, and his areas of expertise include manufacturing, aerospace, technology, consumer electronics, retail, and pharmaceutical. And we have Simon Hart, who coordinates and leads on RSM's UK's international support for middle market businesses. He is a lead commentator on Brexit, on global trade issues, and the impact geopolitical issues might have on the middle market. So now, without further ado, I'll pass this on to Alejandro Cervalli, our host. Awesome. Thank you for the introduction, Christina. So let's get started. So we want to learn as we go. This is for people that don't 
fully understand what Brexit is, if you are new to it or have an idea, this is going to give you a much broader idea. So what is Brexit? Wow. There's a question. Thanks very much for that, Alejandro. Let's start at basics. What is Brexit? It's Britain's exit from the European Union. And even that terminology of, of Britain isn't quite right. It's the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland's exit from the European Union. From that club of, of now 28 countries, well, it's now 27 countries now that the UK has, has left, but it's that club that started effectively as the, um, as the common market, a trade body in the 1950s, which was backed by the US as part of the Marshall Plan to bring certainly Germany and France closer together with trade alignment that has expanded over the last 65 plus years to be the, the construct that it is now, a trade body, but also a cultural alignment of philosophies, economic, social, and people orientated. And it's that dynamic of change from being a, um, a trading block to more of a federal construct that has been causing issues and debate within the United Kingdom, which has led over, over a number of years of lobbying to a referendum that happened in the United Kingdom in June 2016, when David Cameron was the prime minister, to basically a very binary position. Do you want to stay in the European Union, the EU, or do you want to leave? A very, very simple yes-no referendum to an incredibly complex scenario. So that is what Brexit uh, is, was, and will be. And, uh, and the risk and the issues for the European Union are, was this the start of the breakup of the European Union? That was the nightmare scenario that was being uh, faced by bureaucrats in, in Brussels and one they've worked really hard to shore up to ensure that that doesn't, that doesn't happen. So that, that in a nutshell is what, what Brexit is. It's a very much of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, an issue that has been divisive in the UK. It's been uh, divisive across Europe. It's affected the relationship between the UK internally, the four nations within the UK, England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, and the relationship that the UK has with, with the EU and also with other countries, particularly the United States. So it's a, it's a very dynamic scenario. What prompted the need for Brexit? What prompted the need for Brexit? Well, that's if you subscribe to the fact that there is a need for Brexit. I mean, it's been driven by an, a number of issues, cultural, societal, economic, misinformation, disinformation, depends on your, on your view. On one level, it's, it's people in the UK saying that the, uh, the UK is a net contributor to the EU budget, and it's not value for money. Uh, that, that our laws, our sovereignty is negatively affected by being a member of what was, was the common market, a trading block in 1970s when, when the UK voted to join, to now this federal construct or this moving towards a federal construct. And people are, some people are uncomfortable with that. Then there are people that are saying, actually, this is, this is ridiculous. We are economically and as a society stronger together if whatever anyone's political views one of the undeniable aspects of of the european union is the fact that we've not had another bloody conflict 
in the European theatre since 1945. And I think a lot of that goes to the alignment culturally, economically and trade that's happened across member states as a result of the union. But, but it's been driven by politics, by emotive aspects, um, fears over jobs, movement of people, immigration, uh, a whole, it's been a whole kind of melting pot of issues. There's, there isn't been one specific thing, Alejandro. I'm sure all this back and forth has been one of the reasons why it's taken so long to come up with a good exit plan. I suppose you're, you're unwinding decades worth of integration, legislative integration, trade integration, uh, the alignment of goods and services in terms of product quality, of standardization. All of that has having to be unwound. So the, the relevant legal article of leaving the EU is only a very short paragraph because I don't think it was ever expected to be utilized and it was only a 24-month window. So when the referendum happened in June 2016, on paper there was only two years in order to affect all of the divorce. Basically this is a divorce and, um, and it's taken far longer. I mean as I say we, we've, we've had extensions such that we, we only had what was called the trade and cooperation agreement effectively brought out of the, uh, the negotiating room on Christmas Eve 2020. And even that isn't the complete document, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a moment. But, you know, you're unwinding decades worth of integration in only a few years, and it's not done yet. It's going to continue for a number of years to come. And I think just to add, if I may, Alejandro, just to add to that is that only last week, some of the principal architects on the UK side of Brexit and were opining that they're only now beginning to realise the overwhelming implications of Brexit on the day-to-day trading relationship between the UK and the EU. And I think that, that that is one of the critical issues, is that even at this stage, there is no definitive position as to the UK and the EU's ongoing relationship. As they look into the integration, they are realizing the complexity that it is. Exactly. Yeah, exactly exactly right. And it's quite interesting to see how the overriding implications, especially in relation to Northern Ireland, will come on to in, in due course. That, that in itself is creating uh, a significant number of issues, uh, both practically uh, and politically. And Brad, what we've seen uh, on the ground in the UK is that actually a number of aspects of Brexit had been talked up by Brexiteers in terms of, you know, this won't be an issue, we'll, we'll, get, back our, we'll get back control was the slogan, or take back control was the slogan, we'll have our borders, we'll have sovereignty back. And so some aspects were talked up and from other perspectives, some were talked down. And actually, if you're a business leader transacting with the UK or you're in the UK transacting with the rest of the world, it's been really difficult to actually figure out what the reality will be and indeed what on earth you do about it. How do you plan ahead when actually the amount of material that you've got coming through the press, coming through Brussels, coming through Westminster, you're really unsure as to what's what's relevant, what's real, what's not. And, that, and to many respects, that's... It's not overly sensationalised to say that's still the case. I mean, Brad, you're seeing it on the customs and duty side. It's still moving. Absolutely. It didn't help the fact that the the instrument that the ongoing relationship relies on, which is the Trade and Cooperation Agreement, was only 
formalized on Christmas Eve last year on the 24th of December. So it, it was implemented in a rush. Neither trade or the regulatory authorities, it would be fair to say, we're ready for it. And I think the as a result, we are seeing a, a continual development both in the regulatory authorities' approach to Brexit, um, their ability to react to it. That is primarily on the UK side because the the EU, their legal and legislative position in relation to trade hasn't changed. The biggest difficulty has been with the UK assimilating the, the new status and being able to react to that from a, a legal perspective, especially in relation to the movement of goods. But the, the one of the practical issues around this is that this isn't me specifically trying to take a different view to what Simon said in his first uh, outline in terms of the UK leaving the EU, is that one of the principal issues that is subject to the discussion at the moment is the fact that Northern Ireland is, to all intents and purposes, for for the trading goods, still part of the EU. And when you mean trading between the countries in the UN and... It's probably worth us just, just reflecting on that, isn't it, Brad? Just just from a, a US perspective, just to, just to put this one on. The, the, the one thing we've got is we've got Great Britain being the England, Wales and Scotland as the, as the three nations. And then we've got Northern Ireland, which is part of the United Kingdom. Northern Ireland is on the island of Ireland. And obviously, Southern Ireland is its own independent member state. And it is, in its own right, a member of the EU. So it is the only land border between the EU and the United Kingdom, between the Republic and Northern Ireland. And that is a concern on both sides in terms of the EU did not want, does not want UK deregulation or re-regulation in terms of making it an attractive area for, for perhaps foreign direct investment from the United States to basically be a backdoor into the EU with goods and services, or particularly goods that don't meet the same criteria as required by the EU. So there are those concerns. Equally, no one, no one in Westminster, no one in Brussels, no one in the island of Ireland wants anything to jeopardise the Good Friday Agreement, the peace accord in Northern Ireland, and no one wants the return of any form of hard border in uh, between Northern Ireland and the Republic. So those dynamics are at play, and, um, and the US administration has been taking a, a close and careful ongoing look at what the implications are of Brexit on peace in Northern Ireland. No one wants a return to, to, to the Troubles. However, you know, the Northern Ireland is a member of the United Kingdom and, and therefore there has to have been a fix. And that wraparound fix, probably Brad, is probably worth explaining in terms of how goods flow between Great Britain and Northern Ireland, how goods flow from the EU into Northern Ireland and from Northern Ireland to Great Britain. Yeah. Um, how long have we got, guys? I'm not sure we've got long, long <laughs> enough to, to, to completely fill the, that particular gap. But yeah, I think the issue is best summarised from the perspective of politically, a lot of noise came from the UK government that there will not be a hard border uh, down the Irish Sea, which is the body of water that separates the island of Ireland from uh, uh, Great Britain. However, as a result of the Northern Ireland Protocol, which is an intrinsic part of uh, the UK's Brexit agreement, 
to maintain this, a single market on the island of Ireland. This, this isn't just in relation to um, goods specifically. Um, Ireland has been a single market in a number of areas. The electricity market is a good example of where there is a single uh, market on the island of Ireland for that. So the, the, the principle that is the fix that uh, Simon mentioned is that trade between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland and the rest of the EU still works on the single market and customs union model. So goods moving from Great Britain to Northern Ireland are subject to a customs declaration now. So there is, to all intents and purposes, a border down the Irish Sea, which even now some parties are refusing to acknowledge the practicalities of it are therefore that in certain circumstances, good mo goods moving from Great Britain into Northern Ireland will be subject to a duty charge, which is on reflection something that you would not necessarily have expected as being one of the primary outcomes of the UK's departure from the EU, that intra-UK trade could be considered to be an international movement of goods and therefore resulting in a customs declaration and a duty charge. Um, the flip side of that, and in order to preserve, I guess, some semblance of uh, the UK, a UK single market is that goods moving from Northern Ireland to Great Britain are not subject to a customs process when they when they arrive in the in Great Britain. They are, however, subject to an export declaration or an export um, some form of export declaration when they come out of Northern Ireland because they are leaving the EU single market. So it, it's created a a difficult scenario and the. The European Commission were very keen to remove any possibility of Northern Ireland being used as a backdoor into the EU market by creating a scenario where if goods are deemed to be at risk of moving from Northern Ireland into the Republic of Ireland, a duty charge is raised on those goods. Um, so it is very clearly a scenario where Northern Ireland is one of the big stumbling blocks because of its unique position uh, within the, the entire Brexit scenario, which was the fix to maintain that single, that single market on the island of Ireland. So what does that mean for the US? I'm sure the US has trade deals with the European Union. How does that affect us? Yeah, that's a, like, that, that's a, that's a really good question. If I was a US business leader, I'd be thinking, right, okay, what does this mean? I've been hearing about Brexit for years and years and years. I've been hearing about the issues of a no-deal Brexit. I understand that there has been an agreement between the UK and the EU, this trade and cooperation agreement. So surely everything's fine, right? Well, no, not quite right. I think if I think what I've picked up, Alejandro, since since the referendum is that Brexit or the more, more clearly or more, more succinctly, the ongoing relationship between the UK and the EU will be an ever-evolving ebb and flow of negotiations. I think that's just the, the way it is going to be. And I think uh, a US business leader contracting with the EU or the UK has just got to accept that there's going to be that ebb and flow that will continue on. Right now, with this trade and cooperation agreement, which is 1,200 pages, including appendices, long, 
it is really just focused on goods and it and there are still a number of missing aspects um, and areas that are uh, of ongoing um, issue around around the flow of goods. I mean, for instance, on the headline side, the, the trade and cooperation agreement says that there are no there are no tariffs between the UK and the EU in goods, and indeed there are no quotas. So it's almost like the UK on one level is still within the customs union, tariff and quota free trade, which sounds great until you, you start to, to look into the detail. And, you know, Brad could go on for hours on this one, but, you know, as a headline, you've got rules of origin, which means in order to, to enjoy that tariff-free aspect of goods flowing from the UK to the EU, you've got to demonstrate that over 55% of the, the processing that's gone into that good has happened in the, e, in the UK. So, so, you know, it's only when you start to delve in, you see there's, there's a heck of a lot of com complexity that, that a US business needs to be aware of. At the, at the same time, um, you know, we don't have uh, a free trade agreement between the UK and the United States at the moment. You know, that for me is the key area that's got to be worked through. Um, you know, what's the fastest the United States has, has negotiated a, a trade agreement? I think it's 22 months and that was with Australia and it was fairly painful for, for all concerned. So this, this nuance that was being played out by the, the UK government that will get a trade deal pretty quickly with the United States hasn't come to to fruition it's ongoing there are a number of other aspects to to to, to be played into that and that, that also affects the uh, the us eu trade relationships in terms of you know the support or not that the eu has been giving airbus in terms of subsidies the us views on on boeing the digital services taxes that are that france in particular was was levying on us tech giants so all of that has to to play into the melting pot so i'm expecting Ongoing negotiations for months, if not if not years. I'm uh, if you, you know, I don't see that we're going to get a trade deal between the UK and the US this side of the end of 2022. So what do we do with that? And I think that 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 means it, you know it's going to be increased bureaucracy. It's going to be um, increased cost. I mean, Brad. I mean, we're seeing increased costs in the UK in terms of some imported goods. Some of that will come from the the US, and a lot of that is. Is, is driven by paperwork and tax and duty, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the question that Alejandro asked in terms of you know, an, an indication of the practical aspects revolve around exactly that situation. So if we took a scenario where many US businesses have structured their European operations by having a distribution hub in the UK, for example, that goods coming from the either the US or from China uh, or any other non-US, uh, sorry, non-UK or EU jurisdiction, that those goods would be subject to a customs duty charge when they're imported into the UK. Subsequently, where some of those goods may be then distributed to EU distributors or EU customers, those same goods will be subject to a further customs duty charge when they're imported into the EU. So whereas before when the UK was part of the single market and customs union, those goods would only attract a single duty charge when they entered the EU, those exactly the same supply chain will now result in a, a double duty charge. The rules of origin that Simon mentioned operate in a very 
similar way to the USMCA in relation to requiring that local process. So any scenario where goods are entering the UK or the EU initially for subsequent distribution to either party will crystallise that um, double duty situation. So we, we have and are working with a number of US-based clients in order to look at to look at how one of those duty charges can be mitigated. So effectively creating the additional administration that Simon mentioned, effectively to stand still, to go back to the situation that those type of businesses had before the end of last year. And Brad, just the other bit for a US business, particularly Miami, isn't isn't you know, Miami's sister sister city is Southampton on the south coast of, of England and, and Southampton and that area is going to be a designated free port, one of eight free ports that the UK government announced. Perhaps just a couple of moments in terms of what that might mean in terms of flow of goods into that free port area. Yes, so the intended structure for free ports is broadly similar to the US foreign trade zones in in as much as it in addition to custom simplifications and an area that would not attract a customs duty charge on imported goods there will be additional tax breaks whether that relates to corporate income tax local taxes uh, that we we envisage the, all of those to be part of the mix um, so the, the intention behind the free ports was, was to create competitive areas that would that would create jobs uh, so that there would be a situation where uh, as much tax benefit could be derived for those areas and for businesses that are operating in those free ports in order to attract those jobs there. One of the key considerations in all of this, as I mentioned earlier, is that the, they will be duty-free areas, tariff-free areas. However, one of the unmentioned, previously unmentioned considerations, which came to light in the press for the general public two or three weeks ago, is that because of the way the UK-EU trade and cooperation agreement is structured, any goods produced in those free ports would not qualify for the trade agreement. So whilst it on, the, on its face they are attractive areas from a tax perspective, they don't completely provide a seamless uh, opportunity to mitigate costs because goods coming out of the free ports would not be would not qualify for the trade agreement with the EU so there are as i say a significant number of positives but businesses planning to utilize free ports need to carefully consider the overriding impact on their supply chain so what is not in the trade and corporation agreement? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, look, the trade and corporation agreement is really focused on goods. So anything to do with services, particularly financial services, is, is absent. There was an undertaking to be a memorandum of understanding relating to the UK-EU financial services uh, sector that was running to the 31st of March 2021. We've clearly passed that. We were doing this recording at the end of May. So that's just been rolled over in terms of, well, okay, what's what's happening between the City of London and, and the EU? And that, that is a, a missing aspect because that's a big part of the UK economy. Things like the equivalence of standards hasn't been dealt with. Mutual recognition of professional qualifications hasn't been dealt with. The issues over the ending of free movement of people 
is it hasn't been fully resolved yet. So, so a whole myriad of things still to be dealt with. But I suppose if I flip that bit into a turn to to slightly a more positive that is of relevance to to your audience, are the trade deals that have been rolled over as part of the Brexit. So these are EU trade deals with other countries that are now trade deals with the UK. And in terms of your relevant sphere of influence, that includes Mexico, Costa Rica, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Panama, Chile, Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru. So, you know, there's a lot of ongoing trade deals that still exist that is of relevance to, to your audience in terms of dealing with the UK. So that's, that's the kind of end on a good note. Awesome. Where can people stay up to date to make proper decisions? I would like to say that the regulatory authorities, the relevant governments are uh, up to date with guidance and to say that their guidance is uh, very, very broad spread and in depth. Unfortunately, it it isn't as yet. Uh, Certainly in the UK, they're playing catch up in getting used to their new reg- their new regulatory responsibilities. One of the areas that is regularly updated with news on Brexit is RSM UK's own website, where we have a dedicated Brexit page to which uh, a number of topics are posted. From my perspective, developments on the trade of goods and also general business and trend information is also posted on the website. So that is where I would suggest people go to to get their uh, latest on Brexit developments. Gentlemen, Christina, thank you so much for this. This has been fantastic. Christina, thank you for bringing us together. This has been great for our first EACC and Miami Global Net partnership. So I'm excited for more. Brexit 101 was great. I'm going to hand it over to Christina for some few final words. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alejandro. Um, Thank you for inviting EACC Florida to partner with uh, Miami Global Net on this series of uh, podcasts. And of course, many thanks to, to Brad Ashton and Simon Hart from RSM for sharing their amazing expertise and insights on Brexit with our followers. And also just as a little uh, announcement, our next deep dive with Miami Global Net will be on data protection. Now, one of the questions which was asked, where can we find out more about Brexit? So Simon and Brad already answered that question. But of course, on EACC, we will continue discussing those issues in our programs. So make sure that you uh, have a look at our website at eaccflorida.com, where we will be posting announcements of future programs on these issues. So many thanks again, and over to you to our host, Alejandro for the last word. Once again, thank you very much, Simon, Brad, Christina. I look forward for more conversations in the future. Thanks, Alejandro. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. Yeah.